the second things go wrong is when you stop. But you, you cannot let your emotions dictate your actions. Because if you do, you're in big trouble. You're, you'll never get anywhere if you do. And um, when I got to within 24 hours of Antigua, as I set off from La Gomera in the Canary Islands and I wanted to finish in Antigua, I saw a flashing light on the horizon. It was a red radio beacon on top of a hill. I tuned this radio in and I could hear this like reggae, reggae music. And I was like, I've done it, I've done it. All of a sudden, I didn't want to, I didn't want to finish. It was weird. It was like I chased this goal of rowing across the Atlantic because I thought, all I want to do is finish. Because once I've rowed the Atlantic, my life will be amazing and, I can, and I'll be floating on air for the rest of my life. And when I got to within 24 hours, I didn't want to stop. And rowing the Atlantic taught me quite a lot of things, actually. I mean, one of the main things it taught me was never be afraid to try new things because it's never as hard as you think. It's never as hard, I promise you that. And actually, you've got to learn to enjoy the journey. It's not really about the end goal. If you enjoy the whole process of doing it, it's so much more enjoyable and you'll get way more from it, way more. From adversity to success, you have control. I'm Harriet Pound, and this is the Inspirability Podcast. So James, you're in a situation where your mom says to you, you're crazy for trying to row the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get sponsorship, getting a lot of rejection. Yeah. You're just trying to get people to believe in your vision, but it's hard. It's very hard, yeah. What skills do you think you drew on at that time that would benefit our listeners as of key messages for similar sort of situations that they're perhaps dealing with in their own lives? My, 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 my answer to that would be have the courage to stand by what you believe in. Just because someone else doesn't think you should be doing that or they think you're crazy, don't worry about that. Have the courage to continue on a path that you think is right for you and just take it day by day and always be accountable. Always ask yourself, am I really doing enough? And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Kids come to me and say, yeah, I've tried everything. Oh, I can't get sponsored. And I say, how many companies have you, 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 have you emailed? How have you called? Oh, I've done 10. I say, come back when you've done a thousand and then tell me. And you never hear from them again. So be honest with yourself, right? Are you really putting in the effort? Like really, really, really? Um, and yeah, and, and it will come together in the end. So talking about your adventures then, so the mm. first one was rowing the Atlantic. Yeah. Were there ever any points during that journey where you just wanted to give up and if so how did you keep going yeah i'll tell you all about that now when i made the decision to row across the atlantic i actually made the decision when i was in my comfort zone i wasn't that comfortable at the time i was actually in hospital when i made the decision i was going to do it but what i mean by that is i had people around me i was in a safe environment i had family and friends around me and i made this decision i was going to do this and fast forward a bit of time i managed to make it happen right i got to the start line which is the hardest part then all of a sudden, when you're stood at the start line and it's a particularly rough day and the waves are smashing up against the harbour wall and you look out at the Atlantic Ocean, you're like, oh, is this a good idea? And then your brain will start to play tricks on you and you'll start thinking, how can I get out of this without losing face? Well, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I'll never forget, I was chatting to a guy 
he'd sailed around the world many times and he said, are you nervous? And I'm like, yeah, really nervous. Bitten off way more than I can chew. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And he said, I promise you, if you can get through the first three days, I promise you, you can survive three months. It's all in your mind out here. All of it is. It's nothing to do with being physically tough. It's all in your mind. And that, I was lucky. That, that stayed with me. And when I left, I'll never forget, I left and the first 24 hours was quite rough and the reality hits you really quickly of what you're trying to do. You're looking at the chart plotter, which gives you your speed over ground and you think, oh my goodness, I'm going, I'm rowing hard, but I'm going quite slow. At this rate, it's going to take me a year to get across. And then you start thinking, how's this going to work? How, how am I going to do this? And then if you, I'm lucky, I don't really suffer from it too badly. But if you start getting motion sickness and seasickness, it's massively debilitating. It will wipe the floor of anyone if you, you suffer with it. And so your, your emotions are overloaded and you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this. And you start thinking, how can I get out of it without looking stupid? But when that happened, I kept telling myself three days, that's all you've got to do. And then I got through that three days and I thought, hang about. I, I might actually be able to do this. And then you kind of get into a rhythm. It gets easier. But then I wanted it so badly that I never thought once about giving up. I said to my mum and dad before I left, I said, I will never give up. I said, if the boat sinks, I will get in the life raft and I'll drift across. I'm not going to stop. And I think because I wanted it that much, that helped me. If you only want to row across the Atlantic 99%, promise you that 1% will get you when it's, you're tired at night and you're going backwards. And the thing is, what determines your happiness out in the Atlantic is your progress towards your goal, right? And so when you're, you know, you've got a nice tailwind, you know, the boat's moving along, it's, there's no better place to be. No better. Beautiful ocean, bright blue wildlife there's sun it's just magical you know you you get very lean very quickly where you're rowing a lot it's, it's amazing but the second that wind turns and you're going backwards your whole mindset everything will change massively and you will not want to be there anymore but one of the things i started to learn was and this is why i talk a lot about just take it one day at a time because you never know what the wind will bring. And you can't really say you never know what the tide will bring. There's no tide in the Atlantic. There's currents. You only really get tides around the coast. But the wind would change on a regular basis. And one day I'd be getting blown backwards. I'd be fed up. And I'd think, it's not like you can get out of the boat and walk home. You're committed, right? So there's nothing you can do. But the wind would change. And the next day or a few days later, I'd be off again. And one of the things that I used to think about was so many people said to me, I'm not giving you any funding to row across the Atlantic on your bike. And there were only a few people that did. It was really hard to make it happen. And I thought to myself, I'm never, ever going to let those people down. Those people who took a risk on me, I'm not going to let you down. And actually, at the time, I was raising money for a, a children's charity, really good children's charity. And I thought about the cause and I thought about why I'm doing it. And I wanted, I chose to be here. 
It's not like someone forced me to row across the Atlantic. I chose to be there. So I had to keep reminding myself that. And I had to keep reminding myself how lucky I was to be there, right? Lots of people want to row across the Atlantic, but it's so hard to get to the start line. Half of them don't even bother. They don't do it because they... And, and I think that I kept reminding myself of that. That really helped. But the key thing that helped me is a couple of things is knowing that this is only temporary. Tomorrow it's going to change. It's going to get easier. It may be a week. But also as well, have something to look forward to. Like I was rowing towards a goal and, and that was to finish. It was to row across the Atlantic. And every day I made a deliberate choice to put my mind into like a positive state. So I, the second I could feel a bit negative or feeling a bit sorry for myself, I was on it. I would just shut that down. And I used to think about things I wanted to do because you trust me, you have a lot of time to think out there, a lot. And the brain can play tricks on you big time if you let it. And so I would, I had all these plans of things I wanted to do when I got back and I had my little black book. You couldn't really write when you're rowing, but in the evenings I could make notes and having something to focus on helped me. And, and, you know, every now and then I rung up my parents to, for a quick chat on the satellite phone. And actually I ran out of food 230 miles from Antigua and I found out what it's like to be starving. It's not that good, actually. It's good character building. And I'll never forget, I rung up my dad and he was like, yeah, we're, we're out having a Chinese. Oh, it's so nice. And there I was with no food on the boat at all. And there I was, you know, talking on the satellite phone to my parents and they're telling me about you know, just, just hold on a second. The waiter's just putting the food on the table. Oh, it's lovely, James. And some people think, wow, but that helped me a lot. And so everyone develops their own methods for, for getting through things. But in a nutshell, have something to look forward to and just take it day by day. And, and one, you know, just because you've had a bad day doesn't mean that that's going to carry on. It's totally possible for things to in fact, actually, I was really slow. The first half, I was really slow for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, I rode as hard as I could. But I had a big, heavy boat, which was designed for two people, and I'm on my own. But the last half went a lot quicker. So in terms of maintaining your mental health then mm. and the importance of mental health, I mean, you said that the guy you spoke to beforehand said, it's all in the mind. It is. One of the other things that your book mentions is about the importance of maintaining routine so that you don't fall Most definitely. into a negative downward spiral yeah, and get yeah. lazy. So just tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, when I was out in the Atlantic, you very quickly lose track of time and the days. You do know what time because you've got to watch on. But um, it, So I found out that actually having that discipline of getting up at a certain time, rowing for a four-hour shift, then taking a break, and then sticking to that routine just really, really helped me. Because if you stick to a routine, you're achieving what you need to achieve. The second things go wrong is when you stop. We can talk a bit more about that if you like. When I was coming back down off Mount Everest with a lung infection, yeah, the, the worst thing you can ever do is just stop. Um, so having that routine of just carrying on, doing the things that I knew I needed to do. I may not feel like it, but you, you cannot let your emotions dictate your actions because if you do, you're in big trouble. You're, you'll never get anywhere if you do. And, um, you know, before you know it, 
the first couple of months were slow and then the last few months were went really quickly and I'll tell you something when I got to within 24 hours of Antigua well, I set off from Lagomero in the Canary Islands and I wanted to finish in Antigua I saw a flashing light on the horizon it was a red radio beacon on top of a hill tuned this radio in and I could hear this like reggae reggae music and I was like I've done it I've done it all of a sudden I didn't want to I didn't want to finish it was weird it was like I chased this goal of rowing across the Atlantic because I thought uh, all I want to do is finish because once I've rowed the Atlantic my life will be amazing and I can and I'll be floating on air for the rest of my life that doesn't happen by the way and when I got to within 24 hours I didn't want to stop and instantly I kind of regretted not stopping enough and taking pictures and enjoying the moment. And rowing the Atlantic taught me quite a lot of things, actually. I mean, one of the main things it taught me was never be afraid to try new things because it's never as hard as you think. It's never as hard. I promise you that. And actually, you've got to learn to enjoy the journey. It's not really about the end goal. If you enjoy the whole process of doing it, so much more enjoyable and you'll get way more from it way more so enjoy the journey of the challenge absolutely and... enjoy the ups and downs enjoy it you know yeah because every day all i wanted all i thought about was just finishing so i'd get on the oars and i'd row as hard as i could and i never really took enough time to stop and see one of the things you can do is get into the, the ocean swim around on a day where you've got high pressure and the wind drops to nothing it's amazing that the whole ocean will go like a sheet of glass. And that doesn't happen all the time because you're rowing what you call the trade winds route. So typically it's windy all the time. And when it does get very calm, you want to take a bit of time to enjoy that. Get in the water, look at the wildlife. Crazy things happen to me. Um, or, you know, bitten on the nipple by a fish. You'd have thought that would happen, but it did, you know, when I was in the water and the, yeah. When you're that close to the what, when you see huge, big whales, thin whales and things, it's like, wow. And I wish that I'd stopped more and taken more photos and, and filmed more. I regret pushing myself so hard because I should have enjoyed the journey when all I wanted to do was get to the end. And it turns out that I was probably one, more, one of the slowest people to ever row the Atlantic anyway. So it didn't really matter. You know? After you rowed the Atlantic then. Yeah. Your next journey yeah. was climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. So tell me a bit about um, when you're crossing the ice falls on the ladders mm -hmm. and you're in situations where there was a lot at stake. If you slipped. Yeah, you're in trouble if you, you slipped. Yeah. You're in a lot of trouble. Mm. How did you manage that stress and what advice would you give to someone in not perhaps that scenario, but in a similar scenario of handling stressful situations? Yeah, look, handling stressful situations. If you've prepared, I, I don't think it, the stress will be as, as, as bad. In my experience, I've always found stress can be managed in that if you know you're, you're going to do something, like you're going to go and climb Everest, so you've got these ladders which cross parts of the icefall and underneath them is huge gaping holes because the ice moves and shifts in the Kumbu icefall. If you know you have to do that, go and practice some things. That makes it that little bit easier when you get there. Now, actually, as it happens, I didn't have really the opportunity to practice that much. And so I do remember the first time I had to cross one of those ladders. 
there was like five or six ladders lashed together. It was bouncing up and down like a trampoline, buckling and twisting from side to side. And of course, everyone's watching me. So that makes it that little bit harder. But again, I just, I tried not to overthink it. Like I knew I had to cross. So I just looked where I wanted to go and I just put one foot in front of the other. Just tried to stay calm. And I, again, some of the stuff that I talk about with kids is staying calm. Like when you are in a you know, position where you feel stressed and under pressure, very quickly you'll see people fall apart. They'll, they'll lose their patience. They'll start and maybe a bit irritated. They, they get a bit angry. But if you can stay calm when you're nervous and you're out of your comfort zone, or even when you're angry, that ability to stay calm. So I knew I had to stay calm. And I had experience of being out in the Atlantic in difficult situations. Now, that's nothing like being on Everest, but it's still a stressful situation. So just you have to trust the process. Sometimes you have to trust your teammates, the people that are around you. Trust that you've done enough preparation to get you through it. And just don't overthink it, just one step at a time. That's how I kind of got across those ladders. And then interestingly enough, I had to, you don't just go from base camp to, to the top of Mount Everest. You actually have to go up and down quite a few times to acclimatize. Um, and so I ended up going through the icefall four or five times. And I think I crossed that long ladder five or six times. And it was really interesting because in the beginning I was nervous, I was struggling. And then after a while, like, I didn't even think about it. I just whoop, went across it. I mean, you are clipped on. So if you was the fall, you, you know, your harness and the line should catch you, but it may not. I mean, it might all just, the anchor might come out and that's you gone. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget that. <laughs> so you can't really control though the situation that you're in necessarily. Not really. But all you can do is control perhaps how you're responding to it and how you prepare Absolutely. for the situation. Yeah, just stay calm trust that you've done the work that you need to do to be in that situation like the training and a great example is you know look when you're learning to fly you wouldn't go from zero to doing your test you would be totally stressed you'd have no idea what you're doing and it, i think that applies to anything if you do your the work you need to do you don't cheat yourself yeah you'll be ready for anything so james climbing everest you're dealing with um, altitude, yeah. potentially altitude sickness or acclimatizing to the altitude, and then you get higher and higher. Tell me about the importance that you talk about in your book of incremental gains as you got to the very top. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you are just literally taking it sort of day by day. And what a lot of people don't realize is you have to, I mean, you only go to the top of Everest once. But you're going from base camp up to camp two and up to camp three multiple times. So your body can adjust to the lower levels uh, of oxygen. Um, and you effectively, you produce more red blood cells, which transports it around the body. But when I got out there, I knew that I had to go through that process. And I never looked, trust me, Mount Everest is quite an intimidating place. By the way, from base camp, you can't see the summit at the top. You, you can further back. But you look up and this, uh, you cannot grasp the size of the place unless you've been there. It's massive. It, it really is. And I think that can be quite overwhelming. I never, ever looked at it as a whole. I always looked at it as just one day at a time. And I knew that I had to go up to the different camps. And in my mind, 
it was really bizarre. I think rowing the Atlantic and having that patience of being out there for 110 days stood me in good stead to go out to, to Everest because I knew the expedition was all going to be over and wrapped up. One way I'd either do it or I wouldn't within six weeks. In six weeks, it's all going to be done. In, in fact, really just over four. And so I thought, well, if I just take it one day at a time, all I wanted to do is get to each camp. I mean, you, you, you fly into Lukla, what a, a, a fantastic airport, cut into the foothills of the Himalayas. Then you trek up to base camp. And when I arrived, my goal was just to arrive at base camp as fresh as I possibly could. I had no interest in anything other than that. And then when I got to base camp, you spend three or four days just doing nothing, letting your body acclimatize. Then I knew I had to go through the icefall. And so it was a case of, well, okay, this is, this is all I'm interested in now, getting through the icefall quickly but safely and managed to do that. And then it was like, okay, well, now we've got to go up to camp two or, or camp three. Once you start getting up to camp three, that's over 7,000 meters. So you're going to start really, really feeling the effects of, of the lack of oxygen up there. And again, that's all I ever wanted to do. And the first time I got to camp three, I was really struggling. And I came back down and I remember I went back up again. But at camp three, you, you go on supplementary oxygen and that makes it a little bit easier. And it's in, and now I, a really, really simple way to explain this is for, for anyone young watching this. And this is how I explain it to kids. Climbing Everest is a bit like working on a school project. So when your kid is, is in school, you're working on a project, you don't do it all in one day. You do a little bit. And after six weeks, you have this great project, whatever it may be, a model or something that you've produced in the class over six weeks. Climbing Everest is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. You're just doing a little bit every day. Then after a while, you're ready to go to the top. And um, that's, that's how you've got to look at it. So if anybody's got a massive goal that they want to achieve. The only way you'll achieve it is to break it down. And it becomes far more manageable, far more manageable. And it's not so intimidating either. All you've got to do is just get through that day and then on to the next one. But I'll tell you one thing. There's no shortcut to the top of the world. Like It actually doesn't matter how fit you are. Even the Sherpas, the local people that live and work out there, they have to go through some kind of acclimatization process. Now they're process will be quicker than mine. Their ability is far superior than mine to go to the top and, and, and cope with the lower levels of oxygen, but they still have to get used to it. So, you know, and you, you can try and take a shortcut and cut it out, but you just, all that happens is you will get sick really quickly. And again, I, you know, I say to kids, look, if it's worth having, I compare how you climb Everest by going down, down, then you get to the top. Anything worth having is just like that. You cannot go from zero to the top. And, you know, if you try and take a shortcut to something, thinking you're being smart and you're being clever, telling you a shortcut will only lead to a place of disappointment. Because in my opinion, it's not possible to have anything worth having without putting that level of work in. Totally impossible. And so, yeah, Everest kind of opened my mind. It's like, okay, yeah, the day it's easy to stand on top of Everest will be the day when a chairlift is installed and, I, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. And I had a, tell you one story people might find funny, I'm not sure. I, whenever you're on a trip, whenever you're climbing Everest, whenever you're rowing the Atlantic, you'll always find yourself in what I call a defining moment. And that defining moment will be the deciding factor whether you go on and succeed or you turn back and you don't achieve your goal for whatever reason. 
And I remember I was climbing, I was off a of camp two, uh, and I was on my summit push. So you go up and down many times, then you have your summit push. So you go from the bottom to the top because you're ready. And I was off at camp two and I'd had some food the night before. And that morning I kept going to the loo. And th- believe it or not, there are loos on Everest. They're lower down there, you know, holes with sort of tents around them. Cause I'm always, the kids always ask me that, how do you go to the toilet on Everest and, and stuff. So it's, it's pretty, pretty well organized lower down. And that morning I woke up, Charles, who was my climbing partner that I was with, an older chap, he was ready. It was his second time trying to climb Everest. The first time he got within a few hundred meters and had to come back. And actually he really helped me because he was older and he kind of mentored me and became like a big brother to me. And there'll always be someone that will help you. It's funny how people just work their way into your life. Anyway, I got up that morning, couldn't stop going to the loo. And I was in a defining, this was my defining moment because I thought I need to go back down. There'll be another weather window. I can do this. And another part of me said, you cannot go back down. If you go back down, you're going to lose this opportunity. And my stomach was churning and I'll never forget it. I made the decision. I, I got all this toilet roll and I hacked it down my underpants thinking, well, if something bad happens, I'm kind of protected. But this is the reality of what it's like out there, right? And so I left not feeling that good. I'm thinking, oh my God, please don't have an accident. But if I did, I did. I had to go. And you know something? Again, half an hour into the, to the, to the climb that day, I was fine. I never needed to. I never had an accident. Everything was okay. And that was my defining moment, right? And lots and lots of people will find themselves in what I call a defining moment. Well, they say, it's got a bit too hard now. I'll go back. And more often or not, nine times out of 10, whenever you find yourself in that defining moment, you will be able to push forward. And that was my defining moment climbing Everest. I'll never forget looking after that. I was kind of like, I was okay. It wasn't until I came back down that I then became unwell. Inspirability podcast releases will continue weekly on a Friday afternoon at 4pm from the 5th of May 2023, alongside our video releases on Airability's YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe to receive alerts for these new releases. You can also access these via our website at aerability.com under Virtual Airability. Thank you for listening today.